Well, praise the Lord, and it is definitely good to be back and see everybody again here today. And I do bring greetings from the saints down at Ministers, too, at Living Word Tabernacle. They send their greetings and love back to us all here, and certainly believe that we're all walking on the same path, and we're making a beeline back to the cross, running as fast as we can back to Jesus. Praise the Lord, and looking to Him to lead the way, escaping out of things that have proven out to be just a bunch of man-made ideas. And let's just keep our brothers and sisters there in prayer and also all the saints, the thousands of them now around the world that are waking up to, to the truth. And so let me go ahead and jump into the, to the message this evening. And I'm going to look at some of, the, some of the same verses really that have uh, blessed me. They've blessed me a lot this last week as I've looked over them. And uh, maybe before I go on to them, maybe I'll remind everyone what I've been uh, looking at the, the last few messages. And I know I've been on this line of topic here for, I guess, several months now, right, uh, in these evening services. And truthfully, my aim has been, since I started this series, to record them all, to have something on the website for when we, for when we launch it. And most of the messages I've, I've preached over the past year, I've not recorded them all, but I have been doing these ones here these, these last evenings. And I want to have something there that I can have there when we launch the site so people have something to listen to starting out. And probably we can start posting up all our regular messages on there, brother, once we, once we get that new site and the new building next month, Lord willing. But I'll just go ahead and refresh some of the ground we've already covered. But uh, we, we looked at Jesus was arrested. He was taken to his trial. And a bunch of hypocrite religious leaders... They put together a sham trial so they could maintain a grip on power and keep up their religious facade. And as Peter denied the Lord three times, as Judas was committing suicide, our Lord Jesus was being taken to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And Pilate, like many people in this world, when they're confronted with Jesus, they want nothing to do with him. Pilate kept looking for a way to avoid making a decision on Jesus. He tried to let Jesus go. He tried to get the Jews to do it. He tried to send him to Herod. Tried to set up a dilemma for the priests so they would pick Barabbas instead. Tried satisfying them just with beating him. But in the end, Pilate found the thing which would allow him to condemn an innocent man to death. And it was his friendship with Caesar. And so in the end, Jesus was sent to the cross. And Jesus said, how else would the scriptures be fulfilled? There was no other way for it to, to come out and fulfill the scripture. So I'm going to pick up here in Luke chapter 23 and start picking up the, the, these verses as our Savior is sent to his crucifixion. Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 13. And Pilate... When he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you, having found no fault in this man touching these things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release unto them one at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who 
for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder, was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I find no cause for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. So there's the the whole sad story. In the end, the people chose Barabbas. They chose a killer over Jesus. They chose a man with blood on his hands over the Savior. And while the killer went free, Jesus went to the cross. Let me continue on to verse 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one, Simon of Cyrenian, come out from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. You know, the cruelty of this whole process that Jesus is going through, it's hard to describe, and making him carry his own cross, it's kind of like making a man dig his own grave. You see that sometimes uh, when people are really cruel, they'll take them out and they dig their own grave and then they shoot them and dump them in the grave. That's what they did to the, the Nazis, did to the Jews, right? Make them dig their own grave and then shoot them and throw them in it. It's just another level of cruelty, putting this cross on his back and making him carry it to the place where he's going to die. And we see that Jesus was so weak from the beating that he'd already suffered, that he was struggling to carry that cross And so the Romans, they grabbed this man, Simon, a man that was just walking along, minding his own business. They grab him suddenly, and they force him to carry this heavy burden. And when I read this verse, it reminds me of something that Jesus said to Peter. Jesus had said, said, take up your cross and follow me, right? And here in this little passage, Simon is literally taking up a cross and following Jesus. And he lays out a little pattern here, one I think maybe we can learn something from that I'll maybe spend just a little time looking at here. Because when Jesus said, take up your cross, he was not talking about taking up a literal cross. We know that. You know, there's people, even here in Corden, where we, near where we live here, they'll take a little literal cross, a little two pieces of wood, and they'll lay it on their back, and they'll carry it around town here. And, you know, that certainly gets some attention. It certainly makes some people interested. And I'm not even saying that's wrong. I am saying it's a little weird. (laughs) But that is not really what Jesus is talking about when he talks about taking up your cross. Amen. You know, it's a deep saying. It has layers of meaning. And, you know, in the context of, of that verse, you know, Peter had just been arguing with Jesus, insisting he would never die. He'll never die, Jesus. And as Jesus is responding to him, it's part of that response where it says, take up your cross, follow me. You know, the cross was not something Peter wanted to deal with. But the cross is something we must all deal with. We can't leave out the cross. But we have to take it up. We have to keep it central. 
I heard a preacher say one time we have to preach a a cross-shaped gospel. And to me, I thought that was a pretty good saying. You know, we can't preach a gospel that neglects the cross. We can't preach a gospel that leaves out what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus has to be in focus. And we have to be willing to take up the cross, especially in that way. Praise the Lord. You know, a lot of us, we've come from places where they pretty well never, ever took up the cross. Certainly not in that manner. They really want nothing much to do with the cross. That's why they don't ever talk about it. And what did Jesus say to Peter when Peter wanted nothing to do with the cross? He said, get behind me, Satan. You know, some of these people who have abandoned the cross, they've abandoned the truth of what Jesus did for us. And we can say, get behind us, Satan. Just the same way. And I want that cross myself. I want to get a hold of it. I want to carry it with me to the end of my days. Amen. And you know, there's a story. A story I've told this before. I'll tell it again because there's a moral to it that I really like. You know, when the Civil War was over, it just got wrapped up. They was going to have this great big celebration in Washington, D.C., So they got together a big orchestra band to play, and they asked Abraham Lincoln, they said, what song would you like us to play? And Lincoln said, I'd like you to play Dixie. And so all the people, they started to get so angry and so upset. They said, why? You can't play Dixie. That's the enemy song. They started really to make a scene. They said, why in the world would you want to play Dixie? And Lincoln said, well, we won the war. It's our song now. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, I love that story yeah. because there's a moral to that story. You know, you and I, we are winners. Praise yeah. the Lord. Jesus has already won the That's war. And we are on the winning side. Amen. And everything that belongs to the enemy is the spoils of war. And we have a right to them. Every phrase, every song, every holy thing in this book, it belongs to us. Praise the Lord. It is our heritage as the children of God. And I'm not about to cede one inch of it to the enemy because none of it belongs to the enemy. Amen. It belongs to the winners, and we have already won this war. Amen. And the spoils belong to us now. Hallelujah. And as we take up the cross and we share the truth about it, the enemy gets no say. Their voice is already silenced in Jesus' name. They're defeated in Jesus' name. And you know, maybe it takes me a little while, but I'm getting my armor on. Praise the Lord. And in Jesus' name, I'm going to march on Jericho. (laughs) Hallelujah. And in Jesus' name, I'm going to put, amen, the armies of the enemy to flight. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to do it with the cross. We're going to do it with the cross. Amen. Amen. You know those silly old movies where black and white and they had Dracula and they show Dracula the cross and he burst into flames? (laughs) You know that's not too far from the truth of what happens spiritually when you show the enemies of the cross the cross. Hallelujah. They burst into flame. Amen. And when I talk about showing them the cross, I'm not talking about showing them, you know, two pieces of wood nailed together. But I'm talking about what those two pieces of wood mean. What they symbolize. It's stronger than an atomic bomb. Hallelujah. The power of the cross. The power of the resurrection. That is what we have today. Amen. Amen. What Jesus did on the cross, that is enough to save 
you and me. Jesus is enough. What he did is enough. And faith in what he did is enough. And to add anything else to that equation for salvation means you do not believe Jesus is enough. Amen. Amen. And we come from places where they do not believe Jesus is good enough. That's why they've invented all these other things. It's why they've come up with rules you can't find in the Bible. It's why they've come up with all these revelations you've got to memorize. Why they've come up with these special men you have to listen to and these special groups you have to belong to. They've come up with all of those things because Jesus is not good enough for them. Amen. And so while others are placing their faith in those kind of things, which the Bible clearly tells us is not capable of saving a man, I'm placing my faith in nothing less than Jesus Jesus. and His righteousness. Hallelujah. Jesus is good enough for me. Amen. Amen. But Jesus is not good enough for a whole lot of people. That's why they shy away from the cross. That's why they don't preach it. Because it contradicts their message. But as for you and me, let us take up the cross and follow Christ. Hallelujah. Let us point to Jesus. Let's bring it all back to Him. Amen. And the cross, it will keep things in focus. Praise the Lord. And the cross has other aspects of it too. You know, the cross don't really fit with the prosperity gospel either. A name it and claim it kind of a religion. And quite a lot of the places we've come preach that kind of stuff too, truth be told. God is a healer. He meets our needs. God is a provider. And you know, we sure can count on Him when we need Him there. You know it? Absolutely. But sometimes powers beyond our control grab us off the street and throw a cross on our back. (laughs) Sometimes things come along out of the blue, unexpected, just like happened to Simon. And while Simon carried that cross that was forced on him, who was walking right there with him? Jesus. Jesus was right there beside him. And you know, we don't seek burdens to carry, that's for sure, do we, brother? We don't seek out hardship, that would be foolish. But when it comes our way, when this world forces a burden on us, and I say this world has forced some burdens on us at times, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Jesus is right there beside us. Hallelujah. And in this life, if you find yourself unexpectedly beneath a burden like Simon then you can do the same thing Simon did. You can look over to your side and you can see your precious Savior right there going through that same ordeal with you side by side. Amen. And you know, the truth is, you look at him and you realize what he went through and what he did. You know, you don't feel quite so bad anymore because whatever this is, it's not as bad as that. Praise the Lord. And as you look at him, as you focus on him, as you see that thorny crown and realize what he did for you, what he did to set you free, as you look on your Savior... Savior, that burden starts to feel lighter and lighter and lighter. And when finally you get to the place where you can lay your burden down, you can kneel down at the foot of the cross and worship Jesus because he was nailed to the cross so you and I wouldn't have to carry that burden for all eternity. He was nailed to that cross so we could lay our burdens down. Amen. Amen. And that's where Simon was headed. He was headed to a place where he could lay down his burden. 
And where Simon laid his burden down is the exact same place where each and every one of us can go to. We can find that same place where we can lay our burdens down and it is on Mount Calvary. Hallelujah. That place where Jesus made a difference. That place where Jesus won victory over death, hell, and the grave. And I'm not talking about a, a physical place, a physical spot of dirt on the ground but a spiritual place Amen. where we can sit down at the foot of the cross spiritually Amen. anytime we desire. And we can look up on the beauty of our dear Savior and see His love and lay our burdens down there and rest a little while. Praise the Lord, looking, looking at the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn over to Mark chapter 15. I've got another verse I'd like to put with this. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. And they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Now, Cyrene, that's today what we would call Libya, the country of Libya. And the people who live in Libya are Africans, right? And Simon was no doubt an African man. And as we read here, it mentions the name of his two sons. And you know, this is an interesting little verse. Because Mark, he really don't tell us who Alexander and Rufus are other than the fact that they are Simon's sons, right? But it's pretty safe for us to assume that whoever Mark was writing this gospel to, they knew who Alexander and Rufus were. Otherwise, he would have took some time to explain it, right? So these two men were well known to his readers, such that Mark didn't feel he needed to explain anything about them. So very likely, these were two men who were sitting in a church somewhere. Amen? And it's not too far of a leap for us maybe to see a whole story just in, the, just in this one little verse. Yeah. Simon, perhaps his heart had been so touched by that day when he carried Jesus' cross. Something about Jesus had touched him. And he had become a follower of Jesus somewhere along the way. And it didn't stop there. That testimony of that cross that he had to bear, that testimony made a difference in the life of others. His own children heard and saw a testimony from their father. And they too came to faith in Christ. And here all these years later, as Mark writes down this gospel, here sits Alexander and Rufus, men known in the early Christian community, men whose lives had been touched by Jesus. What? Through the cross their father bore. My, you know, that's quite a thought. And as I read over those verses, it just uh, it, it gives me something to enjoy in my mind to think about. It's a comforting thought to me. Because, you know, no one likes to bear a burden. But when you can look and you can see that someone came to Jesus because of it, then it was worth it. If you can look back at the burden you bore and you can see some good that came from it, then in your heart you can know it was worth it. And you, knew, you know, you and I, we've certainly went through things for a reason, I believe. We've not had to bear a burden for no reason. And I believe we can already see some Rufuses and Alexanders. Praise the Lord. 
I believe we can already see the fruit that has come from our labors. And when you see that, let that be a comfort to you. We have a destiny to meet. There's some more Rufuses, some more Alexanders who need to hear us tell them about the cross. Praise the Lord. So be encouraged. And let's keep preaching the good news. Remember what Paul said. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Amen? To the ones that are perishing, preaching the cross is foolishness. There are a lot of people who tell you it's fo- you're a foolish virgin or something like that. Yeah. If you dwell on the cross, you know that. Oh, those baby Christians, they like to preach the cross. Just foolish virgins, maybe not even that. Yeah. So they think. So they think. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, yeah. it is the power of of God. Hallelujah. Amen. We got some power today. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn back to Luke 23 with me. I'll pick up at verse 27 there. I love the Lord. He's good. I love His Word. It inspires me. It comforts me. It gives me joy. It brings me strength. It lifts me up. Luke 23, verse 27. Here they are walking along, and there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. And you know, this verse also really presents a a picture to me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I study, certain verses suck me in. And I know uh, 26, 27, 28, they sucked me in. They really drew me in as I was reading these things. And I can just visualize Simon carrying this cross. And Jesus barely recognizable walking alongside. And there's the Roman soldiers surrounding them. And standing along that street line and following along behind is this great company of people. Many, many people. And they're crying. They're bewailing him. And wailing is something, it's loud, it's noticeable. This is a noisy crowd following Jesus. And there are a a few thoughts that come to my mind as I read this. You know, if you went back to verse 21, just just six verses earlier, the crowd was shouting, crucify him, crucify him. But here in verse 27, just six verses later, it's a very different kind of crowd, isn't it? It's another large crowd, but they're not saying crucify him, are they? They're crying. They're wailing for him. These people care about Jesus. They're sympathetic towards Jesus. So much so that their hearts are breaking and that they're weeping over what's going to happen to him. And that tells me something right there. You know, Jewish society was very divided over Jesus. There was a multitude saying, kill him. But there was also a multitude crying over Jesus that day. It helps me realize that this plot to kill Jesus, it was something especially that was an act of the leadership, the priests. The average man on the street was not necessarily the guilty party here. It was something engineered by the leaders. The desire to kill Jesus was not a unanimous thing by a long shot. And they had to be very careful to keep all of Jesus' friends and supporters out of the way and fast-track this plot to kill him before any of them could get in the way. It's why they did all their work in the dark of night and sent him off to the cross before anyone could realize, really, what was even going on. And now, as all these many people who love Jesus are following him and weeping 
and wailing. You know, if we went to the other Gospels, we'd find that Mary and Martha and other women that Jesus knew was in this crowd following him. And some of the people that were weeping and wailing, they were strangers, but others were people who knew Jesus very well, very well. They were looking on a man they loved, a man that had done so much good. You remember Mary, she was such a misunderstood woman, wasn't she? When Jesus came to her house, she sat down at his feet to learn. And Martha accused her of being lazy, right? But Mary wasn't lazy, she just wanted to hear Jesus. And then Mary was also a woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil, right? And Judas rebuked her. Judas thought she, Mary was wasteful. Here are these women, they were misunderstood, weren't they? The people around them misunderstood them. But Jesus had been different from the crowd. The world misunderstood them. But Jesus saw them for who they were. Jesus saw their hearts. He saw that Mary loved God and wanted to understand. That's why she sat at his feet. He saw how Mary loved Jesus, and that's why she put oil on his feet. And these are two different Marys, by the way. (laughs) And when Martha and Judas and the others had bad things to say about them, Jesus was the one who spoke up and defended them. Jesus was the one who understood these people. Perhaps maybe they felt like Jesus was the only person in the whole world who understood them or who knew them. They loved him as their dearest friend. And now this man who had done so much good this man who had been there for them when they needed him, this man who had showed them love and compassion and mercy, they're watching him go to his death. And they weep and they wail for Jesus. You know, I can just close my eyes and see that scene. I can just feel in my own heart how they must have been feeling, those poor people. But I look at what Jesus says in the next verse and it speaks more to me. Verse 28, But Jesus said unto them, Daughters of Jerusalem, Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. My, that's something, isn't it? And I actually take my title from this verse tonight. My title is still Footprints of Jesus, but my subtitle is Weep Not for Me. Verse 28, But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? We notice here, Jesus, as he says these words, he's not really talking to Mary or Martha or the other women who were his close companions. Because he starts out by addressing the women of Jerusalem. And as we read his words here, we can see that these other women, they're weeping, certainly. But perhaps they're weeping for the wrong reasons. You know, Jesus is going to be okay. But they're going to perish unless they come to faith in Christ. What is happening to Jesus is very sad. But what Jesus is dying for, maybe I'll say it like this, 
the end that Jesus is going to face is not going to be as bad as their end unless things change. For them, unless they recognize Jesus for who he is, unless they can realize that the law they're following is not enough to save them, unless they can come to understand that the sacrifice Jesus is making for them, what he's going to do on that cross, and what he's going to do and prove when he resurrects, unless they can understand that that is their sole means of salvation, these people are doomed. And I'm sure Jesus was very glad to have their sympathy. But Jesus desired for something far more than their sympathy. When we look at Jesus and his death, our response towards it needs to be more than sympathy for what he went through. It needs to be more than an emotional connection to his suffering. Because what is happening here with Jesus, the wailing, the crying, it seems perhaps it's coming more from a place of sympathy and sorrow. And Jesus' words, as he says here, he turns these things around. There's something worse than what he's going through. That's what he's saying to them. There's something worse than what I'm going through. There's something worse coming for you than what I'm going through here to this cross. There's something you need to be more concerned about, people, than me. And in part, Jesus is pointing towards the terrible destruction that's going to come upon their city and their people. That's true. And many of these people are certainly going to end up exterminated in a cruel purge by the Romans in just a few years from here. Jesus did indeed have that in mind as he spoke this to them. But he's also looking to something deeper, more deeper, 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 more impactful. He's looking at their eternal destiny. He's looking at a, a fate far worse than dying a natural death. He's looking at what comes upon those who never come to faith in Christ. People who never realize that Jesus is their only hope. People who never realize that Jesus is the only way out. These people love Jesus. They care about Him. He's important in some way to Him. But they don't have faith in Him for salvation. Right. Their faith for salvation is in other things. And he's looking at the destiny of those people and the state that they will be in in the end. And they will be people who will be begging for the mountains to fall on them. Hide me from the face of him. That's what they're going to be saying. But there's no escape. There's no way to get away and have your face hidden from what is coming. Only faith in Christ and he says to them, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. What is happening to me, Jesus says, is awful. But what is going to happen to you is far, far worse. And his words are not a condemnation. You never read Jesus' words as a condemnation. But they are an invitation. It's an invitation Jesus has extended to all mankind for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him might have eternal life and not perish, and not perish. God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Because the truth is the world is already condemned. It condemned itself the day that Eve and Adam made their fall in the garden. Amen. And Jesus is not condemning these people. He's inviting them. Yeah. 
Amen. And the same today, we're not condemning anybody. We're inviting them. Hallelujah. Invitation to life eternal. Amen. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, we offer it. Amen. In Christ's stead, we offer life eternal, a way of escape. Amen. And today, if anyone's listened to this, then they should realize their state. If they should realize that they're condemned, Jesus offers a way out. Jesus offers forgiveness. Jesus offers a way you can take, a life you can live, a truth you can hold on to. And He offers you a new life to live. Praise the Lord. And I have no doubt that some of these same people Jesus is speaking to here, some of these same people who are wailing and crying this day, some of them ended up saved on the day of Pentecost. Some of them became part of the church. Amen. Just like I believe Simon did. They forsook that religious system they were part of. All of these impossible hoops they had to jump through to be saved. Things they could never live or do. And they came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're listening today, and I say again, recognizing your need for a Savior, Jesus freely saves. Come to Him today. Praise the Lord. Jesus was nailed to a cross and He suffered and He died so that we could be set free. Hallelujah. Turn with me over to Isaiah 52 now. And we'll read just how salvation works. The prophets foretold how salvation worked before Jesus ever came. Amen. They told how it would work. And Peter and Paul and John and the apostles, they shared it in their epistles too. But we'll go back to Isaiah. We'll read it from Isaiah starting in 52. Starting at verse 13. It says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. This is talking about how badly they beat him. He was marred. His appearance was so awful it astonished people. But this had to be done so that his blood could cover the sins of the people of the nations. So shall he sprinkle many nations. This is how it happened. This is what it took. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You know, the plan of salvation is wonderful, and it's simple, it's powerful, and it's full of mercy and full of compassion. And a lot of people, especially maybe like those we've come from, they believe the plan of salvation is too good to be true (laughs) in its perfectly true form. The plan of salvation is maybe just too simple for them to accept or to believe. And so they spice it up with all their own ideas. They add things in because they can't just believe the Bible. And I think that's part of why Isaiah asked this question right at the first. Who actually believes in the plan of salvation the way it is in the Bible? Who can believe our report? To whom is this arm of power revealed? Who can accept it? Who can bow beneath the cross and recognize the work of Jesus for what it was. And I love how this chapter opens with with that question, asking the reader directly, are you willing to believe what we're telling you? 
Are you willing to believe what you're going to read? And let's read it. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the chastisement, the punishment of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. You know, this is wrote in such simplicity that it, it's almost impossible to get it wrong. And that's why I believe so many of the preachers and people we left behind, they just never even read these parts of the Bible, really. Because it would undermine so much of what else they try to do. But this is very simple. We're all like sheep. We've all gone astray. Every last one of us has sinned. We've all fallen short. But Jesus. Amen. But Jesus. I love that simple phrase, but Jesus. That can change everything. It makes all the difference. We were lost in sin and without hope, but Jesus came. And God laid all of our iniquity on Him. Every sin, every shortcoming, it was laid on Jesus. Every sin that we've ever committed in our past, every sin we may commit in our future, it was laid on Jesus. And Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. Instead of pouring his wrath out on us, God poured it out on Jesus. Amen. He, verse 7, was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. I think that's the third time it said it. Our transgression, our sin, that is why he died. Yeah. That is why he suffered. He didn't die for his own sin. He didn't die for anything he ever did. No. He did it for our sin, yes. for what we did. Amen. That is why he suffered and died. God was pouring out the judgment for our sin on him. And God does not double punish sin. God's a just God. God has already carried out the judgment for our sins. And he carried out that judgment on Jesus. We are not going to be punished because Jesus bore our punishment already. Hallelujah. Verse 9, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul, what his soul, an offering for sin. Jesus was the offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify men, for he shall bear their iniquities. And right there it is, again and again, Jesus, our perfect, righteous, sinless Savior, the spotless Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. His death, his life justified us. He bore our penalty. He died so that we can go free. Amen. He justified many because he bore their iniquities on the cross. Yes, Hallelujah. Sorry. And you know, what's the end of the story? Verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. Jesus is going to get the best portion of all. Amen. Seated at the right hand of the Father. King of glory, heaven and earth. And what's he going to do? And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Amen. He's going to take that that he's been given. He's going to divide his spoils of victory with all of us. Why? Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And bare the sins of many. And made intercession for the transgressors, hallelujah. Jesus is going to divide his reward, the spoils of war. I talked about the spoils of war earlier. <laughs> Amen. He's already won the war. Amen. It's all already his, and he's sharing it with us. Yes. Jesus won, and now everything belongs to him. Jesus, the king of glory, the king of all the good things. And that spoil, those things he won, he's going to divide them up and share them with us. Praise the Lord. Amen. Why? Because he poured out his soul unto death. Because he bore our sins in our place. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross so that whoever believes on him can go free. Amen. It's that simple. When we believe on him, when we're baptized in his name, our sins are remitted. That baptism symbolizes dying with Jesus. It's a watery grave and we go in, we die with Christ and we come up a new creature. And we receive the Holy Ghost, it's a promise. And we're baptized into His body and through that Spirit that He lives, that lives in us. Amen. That brings us into unity with God. You know, it's that simple. The walk with Him from day to day, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. We show the people what Jesus was like. Amen. Love, kindness. Amen. By this shall all men know that we are his disciples, because we love one another. Amen? And when we love one another, we fulfill the law. That's it. That's it. And if we have Jesus, we're going to go in the rapture. We're going to go in the resurrection, whichever it is for us. And that's it. And you know, I can't keep saying that's it, that's it, that's it, because that's it. That's really it. Amen? And all this extra stuff that people have been putting into us our entire life was, in the end, just bondage. You don't need to hear seven thunders to go in the rapture. That no. has nothing to do with it. No. The people who told us those things were either making them up or deceived. 
You don't need to ever hear the name William Branham or Raymond Jackson or any of these other special teachers that they tell you about. You can go in the rapture anyway. And the people who told you again that you need to hear them and their special things they were saying were making things up. Amen. What you need is Jesus. He is the truth, the way, and the life. And when you tell people they need those things, and only those things, amen. Or rather, I should say, when you tell people that they need those other things, besides Jesus, you've belittled Jesus. That's right. You no longer believe that what he did was good enough. That's right. You don't believe the truth of him is good enough to save when you need these other things. You don't believe that he alone is the way when you've added all these other things to the way. And you don't believe that the example of his life is good enough when you add all these other things to the life a person's supposed to live. But I'll tell you what I believe. I believe Jesus is enough. I believe what he did is enough. And I believe if I seek to live a life like his, that is a perfect life, which is enough. And I believe if I trust in the truth of him, and that truth, that is enough. And I believe if I follow Him, I'm going the right way. And I'm going to end up in His Father's house at the end of the journey. And I can't go along anymore with people who don't believe that that's enough. Because they've departed from the gospel. They have belittled Christ. They have subtracted too much from Him. And I can't do that anymore. Because He is everything to me. I love Him too much to do that. I love him too much to fail him now. There were a whole lot of people weeping and crying over Jesus the day that he went to the cross. And on the surface you could tell they really cared a lot about Jesus and they held him in a high regard. But that was not good enough. And that is why Jesus would say, weep for yourselves. There are people today, they need to weep for themselves. Because they're not much better off than the people that were crying for Jesus this day, as we've read about. Their hopes are in a false religious system and in things that will never bring them salvation. And unless they lay hold on a true faith in Jesus for who He really was and what He really did and what He really meant to this world, their fate is going to be worse than the one that Jesus suffered on the cross. Weep for yourself, He said. Amen. Turn with me back to Matthew 27. We'll get to the very last part of my message tonight. Matthew 27, starting in verse 35. And they crucified him, and they parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vestures they cast lots. And sitting down there, they watched him there. And they set up over his head an accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. You know, they intended that to be a mockery, but they wrote the truth. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, another fulfillment of prophecy. And they said, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself 
If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him, with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we'll believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with them, cast the same in his teeth. You know, it's just a terrible, horrendous scene that it describes there, doesn't it? I just shudder to think about what it had to be like. Jesus surrounded with hate and viciousness and evil. The devil's on a rampage in these verses, isn't he? The last thing I'd like to look at is these two thieves beside Jesus. And as we notice there in verse 39, both of the thieves, they're saying very hateful things to Jesus. They're both saying mean things to him. But as they stand there, I should say hang there next to Jesus, one of those two thieves starts to see something. He initially spoke against Christ, but somewhere a thought starts to enter his mind. Somewhere it crossed his mind that Maybe this is the Son of God. Maybe Jesus is who he said he was. Maybe his words are true. Maybe Jesus is somebody who could forgive me and save me. Here this man, he's at the end of his life. It's all about to be over. He's done some bad things. Bad enough things even to get the death penalty. There's no time left for him to go and make things right. Not even time to go get baptized. No time to go live a perfect life. It's all over for him. And he's staring hell right in the face. But something happens. You know, it's hard to explain how these things happen. But somewhere the Holy Spirit was moving on this man's heart. He knew there was never anything he could ever do to make right what he did. He knew there was no way he would ever be worthy of God's mercy and forgiveness. Amen. I know a preacher one time, he disagreed with me. He said, we are worthy of salvation. There's something in us that merits salvation. You know, he preached that from the platform. My goodness. And you know, that's an ugly lie. No one is worthy. In fact, if you think you're worthy, that itself is a sin. It's the sin of pride. But where we come from, pride was baked right in. You know it? A lot of the beliefs were designed from the ground up to appeal to the prideful heart of man. It was a religion for the proud. Sin was baked right into the foundation of their beliefs. And you know, Satan is smart. If he can convince you sin is good, then he's got you. But if we think salvation has anything to do with our merits, with our works, with something that is in us, that itself is actually the sin of pride. And you cannot be saved through sin. Your sin only serves to condemn you further. Amen. But you can be saved through grace by recognizing that you're not good enough and that you never will be. By recognizing that nothing you can ever do can save yourself. By recognizing that you're completely at the mercy of a kind and a loving God who will save you, not because you are good, but He'll save you because He is good. Hallelujah! Amen! Amen. 
And that is what this thief is about to experience. That truth is taking hold in his heart. He's realizing how hopeless he is and how lost he is and how desperate he is and how unworthy he is. And let's see what happens. Turn over to Luke 23 with me. Back to 23. I jump around a little, I know. I want to. Not all of the Gospels carry every part. Verse 39, And one of the male factors which were hanging railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. You know, that's not too far different from what the the priests were saying. Save us! Come down from this cross! Then we will believe you. But the first thief here, he's got things backwards. Just like those priests had things backwards. Jesus does not save you and then you believe. No, first you, you have to believe, and then he will save you. You don't come to Jesus proud. You don't come to him demanding. You don't come to him those ways you come to Jesus humbly. You come to him knowing that on your own he owes you nothing, but that his love is infinite. We appeal to his love. We appeal to his grace and mercy and his love for you. It's a love that will never let you go. Verse 40. But others answered, rebuking him, saying, The other thief answered, rebuking him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, we're guilty, for we receive the due reward of our, de- our deeds. We deserve to die. Yeah. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom? Lord, please, remember me. You're the only hope, Jesus. Please remember me. You know, have you ever prayed that way? Jesus, here I am getting what I deserve. Please remember me. Please show me mercy. You know, that thief had nothing to offer. He didn't even really have a life to offer Jesus, did he? But he just asked him for a little mercy. Please, Jesus, just remember me. Don't let me be a forgotten soul. You know, I think that's maybe about the smallest thing that you or I could ask for. Please, Jesus, at least let me be a memory. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. The smallest thing in that kingdom of heaven is a million times better than the alternative. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What a statement. What a promise. That thief died with hope in his heart. And then that thief opened his eyes in paradise. And that man who had been both hands nailed to a cross, they weren't nailed to a cross anymore. They were wrapped around him in a hug. Hallelujah. Amen. Hugging him. That is the power of the cross. That is the power of a cross-shaped gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. And you know, we may not be thieves or killers or on death row like that thief was. In fact, we might be living like the best Pharisee you ever met. Hallelujah. Amen. Some of us have too. Praise the Lord. But that makes us no more worthy. Amen. No more merit of salvation than that thief had. 
We need Jesus just as desperately as he did. And so does the whole world. Amen. And the problem is, those Pharisee things oftentimes just blind you of your need. Amen. That's the truth. They often blind people of their need for a Savior. Amen. But sometimes it takes circumstances to bring us to that realization. And I thank God today that you and I have been found by His saving grace. Amen. Amen. Verse 44, And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintances and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. As I bring this message to a close, let me finish with just this last small thought. You know, Jesus was in control the whole time. He was never helpless on that cross, though he appeared to be. He could have called 12 legions of angels at any time to take him down from that cross. And truthfully, you've heard the saying, it was not nails holding him to the cross, but it was his love for us. Jesus had told Pilate, you have no power over me except it be given thee from above. Jesus said, I have the power to lay my life down. I have the power to take it up again. You know, you and I, in a way, we have that same power. We have the power to lay our lives down before Jesus. Amen. And if we do, we have a promise to take up a new life in Him, the life of Christ. And I'm so thankful to have Him in my heart and in our hearts today. Amen. And next time, Lord willing, I'll be close to wrapping this series of messages up. And there's just a few more things I'd like to look at here around this in the resurrection. And after that, I'm going to switch topics. But let me close here in prayer. I pray these things maybe have been a blessing or help to somebody. Heavenly Father, Lord my God, I thank you for all my brothers and sisters that have gathered here tonight. And I ask you bless each one of them and help them, Lord. Not just them, but the ones that are listening online over the internet tonight, Father. Lord, and all the ones where this message will go. I pray, Lord, that these things speak to their hearts, Lord. That open up eyes. Lord, lift us up. Help us to be witnesses of you and of your greatness. Help us point souls to the saving power of the cross. Help us lift up the banner of the cross. Let us, Lord, exemplify Jesus Christ. And let the gospel of truth set souls free that are in bondage today, Lord. Bondage to sin. Bondage to addiction. Bondage to the things of this world, Lord. Bondage to religious systems. Bondage to false ideas, Lord. Break the chains, I pray, in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray. For thy glory we ask it. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord.